How many are reading your devotional? Have your devotional? Are you reading it? I bet it is so good. And this morning ties a little bit in with our message. And uh, I love it because it's encouragement on that the answer is on the way. And this morning I'm a ministry about being at the feet of Jesus. It's good to have Reverend Cal Swinson with us, as a, who is the head of our church planning and pastoral care. God bless you, sir. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. We welcome you, greet you in the name of the Lord, dear friend. Amen. And uh, so wonderful having you. Good to have Cameron and Deborah Joy with us this morning. We had a great time Thursday night. Woo! Teen Challenge was a success, man. And I'll talk about that in just a few moments and tie that into the ministry this morning. But we love you guys and uh, appreciate you, Laos, being a part of that celebration Thursday night. Amen. Open your Bibles up to Luke chapter 7. But in the area of your devotional, the woman at Shunem, the Shunemite woman, and she is there, and she prepares a praise for the Lord. She has a promise, and we know the story. Her son dies, and she goes and gets a prophet. She holds on to the word of God, and she refuses to give up on her promise. Amen? And, and, and but it's so powerful because it says she goes and gets a man of God, and he comes and he lays down upon the child, and warmth comes back into his body. He gets up, but, but he doesn't come back to life yet, so he lays down on him again, and then next thing you know, life comes back. And so sometimes you may feel like, you know what, the promise feels a little cold, but I'm going to stay in the presence of God, and then pretty soon you feel the warmth of God begin to move, and you just stay there and hold on to the promise, and God will bring life. Amen? And so it's powerful. So there's always something great in there to encourage you. And uh, this morning, in these last few weeks, we've just been uh, focusing on reaching out and reaching others for the Lord and allowing God to use us in taking the gospel to our world. How many know this is our mission field? Amen. This is where God has planted us. This is where we live. And this is the field where we're supposed to reap that harvest. And by that, when we come into agreement with God that he's given our lives to us in seed form, and as a seed, when we sow the seed of our life, that means there's a harvest of people connected to our life. Because every seed reproduces after its own kind. And God ordained that a you and I, when we sow our life into the kingdom, that means there's a harvest of people that God wants to bring into the kingdom through our lives and all he asks us to do is come into agreement with him and allow the Holy Spirit to work through us enable us and empower us and we can see the kingdom of God gain great increase how many would agree this morning amen so we partner with God in that area and, and doing that and so we've been talking to you about this and I'm so glad that God is a God of faithfulness in our life how many God glad he's faithful Amen. So glad that God is faithful. But also, I'm thankful that he's a God of forgiveness and restoration. We're going to see that in this account with this woman this morning. But in that, and that's what so, was so powerful about Thursday night and being with Teen Challenge. And Kevin, we need to get together. We should have the, the, the choir and everybody come up here before the year's out and do a service. Because there's something so powerful about hearing the testimony of a transformed life. Amen. And, and never forgetting that God's in the business of transformation. And when you hear these testimonies, you may be able to relate to somebody and say, Hey, I know somebody that's in that same situation. And if God did it for them, he'll do it for my loved one. He'll do it for my friend. Amen. And so powerful in that area. So if you're with me, go to Luke chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisees and sat down house and sat down to eat and behold a woman in the city who was a sinner when she knew that Jesus was sat at the table in the Pharisee's house brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil 
and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. She began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed, and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Verse 40, And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors who owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to him, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sin? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Father, in these next few moments, I pray that you would move in our hearts and our lives. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Jesus declared you would be our teacher. You would lead us and guide us into all truth. Teach us today. Bring to light truth from the Word into our heart. Cause our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, somebody said, Amen. Amen. So think about this this morning. The title of my message is, In Pursuit of a Savior. Look at the cover of your outline, if you would. The Word of God is filled with the personal accounts of people like this woman who went in pursuit of God. The circumstances and conditions of their lives brought them to the place where they knew in their own hearts they needed, a, they needed divine intervention in their lives. That's this woman realized, I, I need divine help in my life. I don't know about you, but that's how most of us come to Christ. We are beyond our own ability to fix our own lives. How many could say amen? I know that's how I got saved. I was beyond my ability to help myself. What happens and we just simply open our hearts and admit we need a Savior. Amen. That's all I knew to do. I said, Jesus, if, if you'll take my life, I'll give you my life. I didn't know anything else to say or what else to do. I was just ready to go all in. Lord, I messed my life up. I'm, I am busted, rusted, and disgusted. Amen. I'm just a mess. And Lord, if you'll take my life, I'll, I'll serve you the rest of my life. I knew I needed a Savior. I'd finally come to the end of myself. See, when that happens, we no longer care about people's opinions. We just want to be saved. We, we have no desire to argue or debate with others. We just want to be healed. And we are willing to risk public shame, rejection, and even harm. We just want to be delivered. Yeah. Amen? So think about it. 
So let's look at this little, go back and walk through this. I believe there's four lessons, key lessons we can learn from this woman. And we too can experience and receive the compassion and love of our Lord. First of all, she recognized she was a sinner. How many know that's not a popular topic? Try to help somebody out and say, you know what, I'd like to help you. But like all of us, we're all just sinners. Amen. We, we, we have that. We were that. I don't know about you. I wish I didn't have the problems I still have. Amen. I wish after all these years, I had it all together. Amen. But I don't have it all together yet. I'm still a work in progress. Amen. If you've been around me very much, most of you could say a real loud amen right there. You pray for me very hard. Oh, God, help our pastor. Look at He's at it again. There he goes. Amen. But that's where we all are. How many could admit some old things are still passing away? A couple new things are still being made new. We're just in that process of being made new. But as that, see, this is the foundation. Recognizing I'm a sinner is the foundation for salvation and for spiritual growth. Amen. We must be honest enough with ourselves to recognize that we too have come short of the glory of God. Romans 3, I just put it there in your outline. Verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now the problem we have to do is the longer we've been saved, we kind of forget how, how, how dastardly we used to be. We kind of forget what kind of rascals we were, what kind of problems we had. Maybe you were born never done anything else. I was talking to a gentleman the other day, and he had never had a, I've known several people. They've never tasted alcohol. They've never taken drugs. They're doing that. And so I'm doing a wedding for a couple this weekend. I wanted to go to the outhouse races. That just sounded exciting to me. Amen. I wonder what happens when they wreck. Now, that's a whole other story, amen. Hopefully, they're empty. Hallelujah. Anyway, but you run along there. So I thought, man, that's the outhouse raises. That's amazing. Outhouse. Who, who thought that up? Amen. Do they have motors in them? Do they, I mean, do they look, do you put them on top of motorcycles? Are they on three wheelers? What do they do? You pick them up and run like Fred Flintstone underneath them? Who knows? Amen. So anyway, <laughs> I thought that's how exciting. But then in, I have two weddings this Saturday. So I have to do one at noon, then I have to do one at, at 530 in Lodi. So I'm running. So praise the Lord. I missed the outhouse races. But with all of that. We, we come along and, and, and we get saved, but we forget where we came from. We forget where we came from. And so the devil, the longer you've been saved, he likes to make you forget, have amnesia about your past. I love the Apostle Paul. He never forgot where he came from. He said, I, Paul, the chiefest of sinners. He never forgot that he persecuted the church. He never forgot about the things he did. And it kept him aware of God's amazing grace in his life. And it caused him to walk humbly before God. Amen. How many know that the scriptures tell us that he has shown us what we must do, how to, how to walk, how to love justice, how to do mercy, and how to walk humbly with our God. Amen. So remembering what God's grace has done in our life keeps us humble. But if we forget, we begin to categorize sin. And we begin to think of the big sins. Amen. Immorality and, and, and all the other atrocities that people commit. We begin to add those up. But we forget that gossip and backbiting and murmuring is on the same ground with all that stuff. We forget that those little white lies, we need to repent of those. Amen. We forget that sometimes when we have those dastardly thoughts, we're still thinking those ugly thoughts about people. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching real good. And we get angry about stuff and things upset us and we get attitudes. I mean, no, all that stuff has to be repented of. 
Amen. It, it has its roots in our old nature. And now that area in God is working in transformation in our lives. And so we have to keep ourselves in that place. 1 John 1, 8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So we need to realize that we need a Savior, that as a sinner, we need a Savior. Secondly, what did she do? She recognized Jesus for who he was. And this is so important. She did not see Jesus as just a great man or someone to admire. And he is both of that. He, Jesus was an amazing man. And, and he deserves admiration. But how many know he's much more? He's more than just a great man and someone to admire. She did not see him as someone to have a meal with and to recline with in religious conversation. That's why Simon invited him over. Here's a religious man. I mean, we can talk about all of our doctrines and all of our viewpoints and have a great meal and we'll all go home and nobody will be any different for the evening. I bet we'll just all stay right where we are, trenched in our own traditions and opinions. But she saw him as so much more than that. She saw him for who he truly is, the most holy one, the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sin of the world, including hers. I don't know about you, I'm glad Jesus died for my sin. I'm glad that, that his grace was upon my life. I'm glad that, that, that his redeeming grace has kept me. That even when I've had to walk through some of the harvest of my past failures before I got saved. How many know the word of God is true? Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. See, it, uh, it, it was very clear to me when at the age of 56, I, I realized, hey, well, let me, I have to back up, I have to count because I remember what it was. At the age of 53, actually, is when I uh, was diagnosed with hepatitis C. I'm going, man, here I am. I've been saved all these years. I got saved at 25, and now almost 30 years later, I'm being diagnosed with hepatitis C. What in the world is going on? Amen. Well, at the age of 19, I was an IV drug user. And so some of those things lay dormant. And how many know the devil, it will always wait for the opportune time. And he has the right because God said, be not deceived. God is not mocked. But I'm thankful that the seeds I sow are now covered by grace. And now I have grace to walk through that and be the overcomer. Amen. And so when the doctor says, hey, you have hepatitis C, I said, that's all right. This too shall pass. Because I'm the redeemed of the Lord. I'm not bound to my old life anymore. And yes, the devil can call me into account. He can make God stand true to his word. But you know what? I'm saved by grace now. And I've been made more than a conqueror. And God delivers me out of my past and sets me free. Somebody ought to shout amen. And so with that, but knowing that and remembering that and living by that is so important. So she realized who he was, that he came to die for her sin, and I'm always thankful that Jesus died for mine. And she saw him as her righteous, pure, loving, forgiving, personal Savior. My question is, how do you see him? It was so awesome Thursday night, I'm telling you. It was so awesome listening to those testimonies of those young people, of how their lives, nobody, I mean, they, they were the people that life would not give any credit to or see any value in. But thank God, God never throws anybody away. Amen. Amen. Years ago, there was a song by a group named DeGarmo and Key. Anybody remember the group DeGarmo and Key? Amen. You have to be saved over 40 years to know who they are. Amen. But there were a contemporary group that came out and said that God was in the business. There was about a song about a man on the edge of town who runs a salvage yard. And he will take what nobody wants, what everybody discards. And then he rebuilds it and refurbishes it. God's the original fixer-upper. 
Amen. Some of you look better today than you did before you got saved. Amen. So watch this. So how we see him remembering him is so important. Thirdly, she was not afraid to do outwardly what she was experiencing inwardly. And this is so important for us today, and there's a major part of this message that ties into this this morning and how we're going to have our altar call this morning and spend some time in the presence of God. See, our desperation for the presence of God will melt all preoccupation with self. When you get desperate for God's presence in your life, you're no longer really concerned about your self-image. Amen. You get where you, you could care less what somebody else thinks about you. You're just ready to be in the presence of God. We're no longer concerned about our notoriety, our public image, or our personal status. How many are thankful that the ground at the cross is level for everybody? Amen. You put anybody next to you on the cross and everybody's on level ground. It's an equal playing field at the foot of the cross. Think about that. See, a genuine hunger and a thirst for His presence will drive you to His feet regardless of the opinions of others. When you have a genuine hunger for the presence of God in His life, it sets you free. And, and, and I love people, I love everybody, but I refuse to be restricted by people's opinions of me, especially when God is pressing me. Amen. Over the years, we've been at youth camp for years with our kids, and there'll be, I, I remember that John Muncie preached one, one service one year, years ago, and then Sean Smith came right behind him, and uh, so we've been friends with all these guys for years, and so John's preaching, and I'm just convinced convicted to the core and so I turned around to Sean Sean's up next I said Sean you need to give an altar call I need to go (laughs) that's literally what I told him I said give an altar call I need to go to the altar and he goes Don that's awesome I'm preaching on the altar I didn't even know what he's preaching on he gets up he preached on the altar so when there are 400 kids there in youth camp and Sean goes if you need to move to God man I was the first one at the altar I'm a pastor there I'm like, God, I'm convicted. I could care less. Are you listening to me? See, when you hunger the presence of God, you care less what people think about you, and you'll be moved to his feet because only being right with him is all that matters. Think about it. See, it's a desire that will free you to be a fool in the sight of your peers in order to be embraced in the arms of your Lord. Please underline that in your outline. See, when you have that presence, you, you get set free from your peers in order to be embraced in the arms of your Lord. This woman's hunger and thirst for the Lord was genuine. She was not ashamed to weep in public repentance from a broken and contrite heart. Amen. Today, we want everybody to be comfortable in repentance. We want the lights down, we want your heads bowed, and we want nobody looking around. But yet, at the same time, you know what we know? We, we're all sitting here knowing who's supposed to raise their hand right now. <laughs> so whether your eyes are closed, you know who you're praying for right now. You know who needs God. We all, are you listening to me? But we're, we don't want anybody to be embarrassed. We don't want to make a public display. But yet, we live a public display every day. And so, but, and then we wonder why, well, I did it in private, I did this, I did that, and so it's like this woman, here she is, she, she hears that Jesus is in the house of Simon the Pharisee, and, and in those days in Jewish culture, you could be there if there was a party, you could like stand in the outer court and watch the party. 
But there was a place you were supposed to stay. If you weren't invited, you could look on. Adrian, is that right? So you could be in the outer court, and you had to be back up against, like the wall there, stand up against the wall, and just kind of watch and observe the, the, the gala and, and all the festivities that are going on and the people that are there and that. But you weren't supposed to move off the wall into that place. And so this woman decides to risk it all. Because the hunger and the desire for God's presence in her life moves her to a place where she no longer cares what anybody thinks about her and she no longer cares what happens to her. She just has to get to the feet of her Savior. And something happens when God moves in us that way that we're willing just to risk it all and put it all on the line to find ourselves at His feet. So this woman's hunger and thirst for the Lord was genuine. She was not ashamed to weep in public repentance and broken with a broken and a contrite heart. She publicly worshipped at his feet, kissing them and anointing him with the oil of her perfume and her worship. See, many of us will go, well, you know what? I don't need to do that. I'll just wait till Jesus leaves the party. I'll wait and I'll stand over here in the corner. As soon as he comes out, I'll catch him, pull him aside. We'll have a mono we mono moment, just one-to-one and share my heart. We'll keep all this close because the Lord knows my heart. And I'll just keep all this between him and me. But there's something about losing our image and just finding ourselves open. How many of you are glad that Jesus didn't die in a corner? See, we, we forget that for Him to take our sin upon the cross, that He openly, He openly bore our shame. And that's why it says that if we will confess Him before men, There's something powerful about confessing the Lord in an open and a public display and not being ashamed of His saving grace upon our lives. Would you say amen this morning? Think about it. Most of us, the thought of being at the feet of Jesus or of someone else is too much to ask for. But being at the feet of Jesus is the safest place to be. Think about that. Here she is. She said, man, everything's at risk for me to get off this wall and go to where he is. I have to put my life at risk. But the moment she got there, that was the safest place she could be. Amen. See, they could have judged her. People knew about her, knew her activity. But something was so strong on the inside of her that she knew she needed a Savior. She says, I know who he is. And like we said last week, I'm a little bit ahead of myself. We said, well, once we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that he died for my sin, that changes everything. So she had been hearing, it's been said, is this the Son of God? The Word of God is prophesied. Everything He's doing is fulfilling the Scripture. He is the Son of God. And I believe He's here to redeem the children of Israel. And it moves her to His feet. Amen. And so what happens is that she then finds, while she's there, people begin to judge her and putting herself at risk. The next thing that happened, Simon and them are judging her, but the one that comes to her defense is her Savior and her Lord. Jesus speaks up on her behalf. Simon, you see this woman, and he immediately goes to her defense. Are you with me? You want God on your side? Take time to find yourself at His feet. Get past your pride. Get past your ego. And just get in that place where you have open, just an open desire and a genuine hunger for the presence of God in your life and watch God rise up in your defense. Amen. Think about it. So that is the safest place to be. It is the place of power and deliverance and a place of grace and mercy. 
Say, Pastor, how do you know? Just ask this woman. Ask the lepers that put their life to risk to come out into public. That they might be healed. Think about it. Ask the fathers and the mothers who came on behalf of their children. Ask the multitude of the sick and the lame who sought only to touch the hem of his garment at his feet. You'll find out that the feet of Jesus is the safest place to be. See, when they had crossed over, Matthew chapter 6 there in your outline, when they had crossed over to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there, and when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through the whole surrounding region, and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he entered, and whenever he entered into villages, cities, or country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. How many know when somebody's walking by, and your only opportunity is as their feet are passing by, you're laying there in the dirt of the street, hoping that you might just have an encounter with his feet. Amen. And as many as touched him were made well. Look at the next page of your outline. And you've heard me say it the last couple of weeks. And I said it already that God is after the harvest that he placed inside of us. In your life, in my life. I'll tell, tell you this morning. Every one of us is connected to somebody like this woman. Who knows the condition of their life. And you might be here today. And you might be just like this woman. You know the condition of your life. And it's easy to say, you know what? I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. But sometimes we live under so much peer pressure. We, we try to talk about teenagers being under peer pressure. As adults, you live under more peer pressure than anybody else. Some people ha have to drive certain vehicles to look like they're successful, live in a certain caliber of house, wear certain clothes, do everything else, just in order to, to, to be equal with your peers. And you're in debt up over your eyeballs. No pressure. No pressure. Amen. But then we want people to think right. And then we walk into church and we want everybody to think we're holy. We want everybody to think we're perfect. And so for me to go find myself at the feet of Jesus, what would people think? I got delivered a long time ago from people's opinions. Amen. I just want to be at his feet I want to be right with God. Are you listening to me this morning? So important, so liberating, and so victorious. But we need to ask ourselves, who's connected to the harvest on the inside of us? And then become engaged with people around. See, when, when we experience God like this woman, we begin to think about the Holy Spirit begins to show us the people in our life who need the same encounter that we've just had with God. And it moves us to engage with them. And then it puts a hunger and an appetite. See, it was heard that Jesus was in Simon's house. It was heard that he was in the village and places. I want it to be known that God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the presence and the power of the Holy Holy Spirit shows up at Solid Rock Faith Center and that we are people that hunger for His presence and we'll do whatever it takes to have the presence of God in our midst when we assemble together. 
Amen. We, we have to have a desire for God's presence in our midst. But that takes a buy-in on every one of us. It doesn't happen just because the pastor prays. It doesn't happen just because a handful of people meet in the upper room. That's the beginning. But when it happens is when everybody says, hey, I want God's presence to be in my church. I want God's presence to be in my house. I want God's presence to be on my job. I want God's presence to be with me daily. When you hunger for His presence and you take the responsibility to walk in his presence you're about to birth a revival somebody ought to shout amen when the people say we want the presence of God something is about to happen and then we have to remove the, the break through the barriers that keep people from him. How many know that woman had to break through barriers to go to the feet of Jesus? The tradition of her day, the guilt of her condition, everything, all those barriers. We got to be barrier breakers on behalf of other people. We got to make sure when people walk through these doors, I don't care where they are, what they've been, what they look like, what they're doing. Amen. You got saved right where you are, just as you are. Amen. You never caught a fish yet that was already cooked. I'd love to go fishing, pull that salmon out and have him there on my plate already cooked with mango, lime, sauce, and asparagus. Wouldn't that be awesome? Amen. I know they come out a slimy, scaly thing. You got to gut that sucker. You got to fillet it. You got to skin it. You got to go through the whole process in the clean. But you do the cleaning after the catching. Amen. We just want to give the invitation. We want to have good bait. Because Jesus said he would make us fishers of men. Fishers of men. And what's the best bait that you can give? How do you catch men? You catch men with the presence of God. Well, all we have to do is bait the hook with the presence of God. And people will be drawn in to the net. Are you with me this morning? Think about it. See, this requires though, a recalibration of the way we live our lives for Christ and in Christ, individually and corporately. Last week, I, I illustrated it by bringing a, a rifle in and sighting it in, doing all that stuff. But it takes an exodus out of the old into the new, but the rewards are hitting the target are worth it. Amen? So think about it. See, as I said, truth changes everything. Truth changes everything. The Bible is the Word of God. Jesus is the Son of God, and He died for our sins. Hear me this morning. I don't know where your station is in life. I learned this years ago, going to church with people doesn't mean a whole lot. Amen. Just being in a building and, and agreeing to a few things, even getting a lot of, I, I pull for a lot of amens when I preach. But an amen doesn't mean I live in agreement. It means I said something audibly, and that's good. That's a beginning. But walking this out day by day, that's a whole other thing. Because once you walk out of these doors, you have to do what you agreed to. Yeah. Amen. As I say it in here, the anointing God is here. I'm in the midst of everybody. Man, what a free place to be in. Glory to God. I agree with everything. <laughs> Amen. But then I get out there. Now i got to do it. Right. Now I have to live it. Right. Wow. Now i got to crucify my attitude. I bet, especially when I'm driving. Do I have any friends? <laughs> driving, wow. Driving. What a joy. I bet. I ride my motorcycle and I think, man, this used to be fun. Now people are crazy. I get intimidated when I ride my, I'm not worrying about how I'm doing. I'm watching how everybody else is doing. I bet. So, but think about it. See, Jesus is all we need to know. All we need to know to find ourselves at His feet. 
is that God's word is true. Jesus is the Son of God, and he died for our sins. That's enough to get us to his feet and to stay there, to stay there, to stay in his presence. What's the fourth thing she learned? She did not stop until she received what she came for. This is so important. See, today we lack the patience to wait in his presence, to take the time to press in for an answer. Isaiah 40 says, They that wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. How many would take some renewed strength? How many are ready to wait till it shows up? <laughs> See, they that wait upon the Lord, they that wait in His presence, renew their strength. The first thing we want to know, how long do I have to wait? What, what's, the, what, what's the time frame? Like, like 30 seconds? Can I like reheat my coffee and while it's reheating, he shows up? Amen. Can, can, can I get like a microwave answer? Think about it. See, we're in the age of instant gratification, instant prayer, uh, instant answers, and instant access. The thought of having to wait for anything upsets us, even to wait upon the Lord. He watched people. You go to the grocery store, you want to check out, the first thing you do is start looking for the shortest line. Nobody goes, I'm going to find the longest line, see if I can talk to somebody, spend a little while here. No, you go to Costco, you're looking at all the people, and you start looking, why are they buying so much stuff? I got three items, anything I can get through, do this. And then you go find somebody that has half a basket, and you think, man, that line will go fast, and then you get behind that person, and they have all kinds of problems, or they want to do 20,000 other things, and all the big baskets are going by, and you find out you're on the wrong line. So now you're frustrated because you got in the slow line. Amen. You pull in the drive-in lane at that store or doing this stuff. And they say, man, we get it out. We'll do this and do that. And we want fast food. Fast food does not mean fresh food. Fast food means pre-cooked food. And it's been waiting a long time for you to come to order it. The only way it can be fast is if it's made in advance. Amen. So they just, it, we want them to slap it together as fast as possible. Get it to us. And if it takes longer than two minutes, man, this is supposed to be fast food. We want food fast. We want everything fast. But see, waiting on the Lord, that begins to alter our relationship with God. And so thinking about first service, we, we took some time at the end of first service, and we spent about seven minutes praying. Well, I did in one other person. <laughs> and then I looked up after seven minutes, I looked up, and everybody that came to the altar was already gone from the altar. Because when you're praying and you're not used to waiting on the Lord, seven minutes seems like an hour and a half. <laughs> Don't shout me down. You get in there and say, man, I'm waiting on the Lord. How many have been that? You've been praying. You think, man, I prayed a long time. You look, it's been 30 seconds. <laughs> Surely it's been 90 minutes by now. No. You have to condition yourself to wait. What happened? See, with that, the Lord says this. I, I, I put it in your outline, Matthew 7. I put it in here. I'll amplified for a reason. Look what it says. Ask and keep asking, and it will be given to you. Seek. And keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock, and keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who, what? Keeps on asking, receives. And he who, what? Keeps on seeking, find. And to him who, what? Keeps on knocking, it will be opened. 
So what's that mean? You just have to keep on keeping on. You have to be persistent. You have to be diligent. You have to just plug in and stay there. And the best place to do that is at the feet of Jesus. Because see, while we're waiting for something, how many know that Jairus, think about it, here's Jairus, he, his daughter is at the point of death. Mark chapter 5, you can read the account, but, but he goes to Jesus and said, Lord, if you will come to my house, my daughter who is about to die, she will not die, she will live. Jesus says, I will come to your house. And Jairus is going, good, okay, can we walk faster? we got a big group. Anyway, we can leave the group behind. And he's trying to encourage the Lord to move along. And right in the middle of getting there, partway there, a lady crawls through the crowd with with an issue of blood for 12 years, she crawls through, gets to the feet of Jesus, touches the hem of his garment, and power flows out of him, and Jairus' answer comes to a stop. So, and we know the whole account of the woman, Jesus going, power has got out of me, who touched me, and the disciples are going, how do you know? So now there's this whole commotion going on, and Jairus is over on the side. My daughter's dying. Woman, God bless you. Glory to God, you're healed. Get up, get out of the way. My daughter is dying. I need Jesus at my house now. Are you with me? And we get that way in our prayer life, expecting from God. Instead of going back to, wait a minute. The Word of God is true. And Jesus is the Word who has been made flesh. The Word of God just said He would come to my house and my daughter would live. I'm good. You need lunch? we got all the time in the world. How many know what I'm saying? Your attitude changes. He's the Word. He's the Son of God. He has said yes, so my answer is secured. And when you sit down with that resolve in your life, but wait a minute, you don't get that kind of resolve without spending some time at His feet. You have to know Him, not just know about Him. Are you with me? And so then, Jairus, as soon as they start moving again, what happens? The next thing that happens is people come from the house and say, don't bother the Master anymore. Your daughter is already dead. And what does the Lord say to Jairus? Jairus, keep believing. I said it. I will do it. And we know the end of the account. He gets to the house, drives out all the mourners and the wailers, and he goes in the room, and he receives his answer. His daughter is raised up. Amen? But we have to understand that. See, this woman fought to receive her miracle. You will have to too. Enduring the snares and the criticism of the self-righteous, she did not allow man's judgment of her to alter what the Lord's judgment would be on that day. What do I mean by that? There's something that I knew even when I was 25 and I knew I had messed up my life. But I knew if I gave my life to Christ, I didn't really know how to go about it. So I just went in the prayer room. I got an old metal chair and I cried so much that thing rusted and fell apart. Amen. I, I just soaked it with salty tears and that. But I just, God, I need, I messed up. I have messed up my life. I have nothing. I've destroyed my marriage. I've lost my son. I've wrecked my life. I had $10 left in my name. I have nothing to give you. I have nothing to give you. But I'll give you my life. Amen. Are you what's amazing? God hears those kind of prayers. He responds to those kind of prayers. 
And I remember walking out of the room. We, we had a prayer room behind our platform, and I'm walking down the aisle, like this aisle with the exit that went out of the foyer, like that door over there, and I'm walking toward that exit, and my pastor comes walking down the aisle. And he looks at me and says, Oh, son, you've been drinking at the well. You're chained. See, a moment at the feet, I'm telling you, a moment at the feet of Jesus will change you. And in that moment, God forgave me. I got up, and I'm born again. I'm made new. But I had to come to myself. I wasn't going to end there and just glass it over with some religiosity. There has to be that place where you no longer care about anything, and you're willing to take the time. I don't know how long I was in that prayer room. I was there a while. Amen. Think about it. See, she pressed through every obstacle and heard the words we should all desire to hear if the worship team will come back. She heard Jesus say, Daughter, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There's something so powerful about the feet of Jesus. There's something so powerful about being in His presence. I want you, I grew up with altars in our church, altar benches. I got saved at an altar bench. I got saved at a prayer room. I got baptized at an altar bench. I remember Jack Reddick was preaching. Brother Hood would have him come in every year, and he was preaching. Brother Reddick used to say that. He said, you may not remember my message, but you'll never forget my title. And so he preached a message on then is when. And then was when I got it. So the whole message was on then is when. About then is when. And he had a whole series that went the whole message. I don't remember the message. I just remember the title. Then was when. And I remember kneeling at that altar January 7, 1979. December 13, 1978, I prayed in the prayer room. January 7, 1979, I knelt down at an altar bench in New Life Assembly in Marysville, California. And God filled me with the Holy Ghost. Amen. What is that, an altar? But, but, but I moved out. And I didn't care about anybody. And I found my way to an altar. And while kneeling there at that altar, somebody came by and prayed with me. And then over the year, when we first came, we had more room. And we went from altar calls to stand-up calls. Went from kneeling calls to standing calls. I mean, know what I'm saying. But I think there's something that's powerful that happens when we reintroduce the altar back into our worship. The altar is just a place where you just come like a woman with your own personal realization of where you are in your relationship with God and you just find yourself at His feet for a moment. You just say, Lord, this is my life. Can you use me? Can you help me? And you just have an encounter with the Lord. I guarantee that woman at that moment wasn't aware of anybody else. She just knew, I just have to get to Him And if I can get to him, I don't have to fight this battle myself any longer. Something is telling me inside that if I can get to him, he's my answer. And he'll meet me right at the point of my need and he'll turn my life around. I'm telling you, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in just a moment, I don't know what your need is in your life, but I guarantee you today, I can guarantee you with absolute resolve and total conviction that if you would move to his feet, whatever your need, 
Maybe you need a child raised from the dead of sin. Maybe you need a breakthrough in a long-term condition in your body. Maybe you just need to give your life to Christ. But I'm telling you, your answer is at His feet. In a moment, one moment, she's there. She doesn't know what. She doesn't even know what to do. So she comes and she just brings the most precious thing she has to worship Him. She finds herself washing His feet with her tears. How many know you can't kiss somebody? The Bible says standing behind Him. But how many know it's hard to kiss somebody's feet standing behind them? So she went from being behind Him to positioning herself all the way around to His feet in front of everybody, no longer concerned about anybody. God's answer broke through on her life. Maybe today, that's what you need. See, I believe when we recognize our sin is our problem, when we recognize Jesus is our Savior and our answer, we're not afraid to show outwardly what we're feeling inwardly. When we're not willing to stop until we receive what we came for. If we can find our way to his feet. We can receive our answer. So this morning. Some of you I've been your pastor for a long time. Some of you I've just met you today and I'm just getting to know you. I don't know where your life is really. But I know the one who does. And I know today that He's available. And I know that if we wouldn't rush, see, we come to church and we, we have these times. People go, I come, but what time is it over? So you get, can, can we get up? I got, I, I, I slotted, I, I, I grinded out, I've I not niched out, carved out. 90 minutes for God to do a life-changing miracle for me. And if I just said, God, I put life on hold to spend a moment at your feet. Would you just stand with me this morning? I'm not going to try to make up an altar call. I've just preached what God laid on my heart to you this morning. I'm telling you, This is the altar call. If you're here today, whatever the need is in your life, if it's you're aware, like me, all those years ago, I know I couldn't fix my life. I can't fix what I've broken. Every time I try to fix it, I break it more. Every time I glue it back together, it falls again and breaks in more pieces. God, I need a Savior. I needed a Savior. Maybe you're here today and that's what you need. You just need to move to the one who's here for you. Maybe you just need an answer somewhere in your life. So as they begin to sing, we're just opening up an old-fashioned altar this morning.